I really believed that the pain I was experiencing was just gonna end at some point and I would have my life back the way that it was before. I wanted to go back to a time when I could talk and sing and laugh as much and as loud as I wanted in whatever place I wanted, and I would fully believe that was gonna happen. And just months in, got to a place where I had to accept I had no idea if that was ever gonna happen. And then as I saw myself start to improve, but not as quickly as I wanted, and I never have completely regained that freedom, mm -hmm. then I was really angry at all the stories that had that kind of closure. Because I was like, I wasn't prepared for this. Yeah. No one told me that I would have to live with this as a possibility, as a, a consideration, continued recurrence of pain for the rest of my life. Like, at what point am I done? At what point am I recovered? And I just decided recovery isn't real. Hello, and welcome to this episode of Cavern of Secrets, the show about extraordinary women for extraordinary everybody's. <laughs> um, this episode is a conversation I had with the amazing writer and illustrator Georgia Weber. Uh, Georgia wrote a graphic memoir called Dumb, published by Fantagraphics. It's really an amazing story of how she lost her voice, how she wasn't able to speak for a year. Georgia's currently working on another graphic memoir. So she's helping a woman named Vivian Chong who unexpectedly lost her eyesight while she was in the midst of drawing her own memoir. And so Georgia's helping her bring that to life and, and that book's gonna be coming out soon. And from what I've seen of it, it's also extremely powerful and extremely moving. And, and I really look forward to, to reading it. George and I had a really amazing conversation about, you know, what does that mean when when you really can't express yourself in the ways that that seem normal or that are normalized. It made me feel sort of more spatially aware of the world I I walk around in every day. And so I would like to thank Georgia for this conversation because it, it gave me a very interesting perspective. And I hope that it does the same for you guys. Georgia, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. <laughs> I'm excited to have you on. We like met in person many moons ago. Mm -hmm. I feel like you had really short hair when I met you. Like maybe oh. your head was shaved <laughs> or something. Absolutely. Yes. Uh, signature to my comics work is the like brush bangs on the mm -hmm. front, the really yeah. short bangs, and then basically just a shaved head. Yeah. Which is not how I look now. No. <laughs> Different. The hair is diff, folks yeah, at home. Yeah, <laughs> a little bit. I can trick a lot of people this way. Yeah. Because comics artists, we only meet up at conventions like once a year, mm -hmm. every couple of years. So some people, yeah, wouldn't recognize me if I didn't. Well, I was going to say if I didn't start talking, but actually when they met me before, I wasn't talking at all. So it's just a whole new world. Me, long hair, <laughs> using my voice. It's like, who are you? <laughs> okay, so like people wouldn't recognize you with the long hair and without your voice because you couldn't talk for a <laughs> while. How long could you not talk for? You know, my, my voice pain started and it was seemingly nothing, but then it lasted for such a long time and I was talking all through that that I kind of made it a dire situation by just not knowing how to exist without talking all the time. Um, <laughs> Relatable. And, then, yeah, and it ended up being about nine months that I was just not speaking at all, but taking little breaks every day to use my voice and just test it and yeah. try to keep those muscles somewhat active. Like 15 minutes was the time that I sort of gave myself as like an estimate. And over time, I grew that to be 30 minutes and then 45 an hour, but it would be something like 
an hour and then a few hours of resting to see if I could manage the pain better. And then maybe in the afternoon after I'd had that rest, I could talk again. So it's hard to quantify exactly how long I was not using my voice for, but there are certain scenarios in which I couldn't use it just guaranteed based on how loud the environment would yeah. be, how long I would be expected to talk if I started. But yeah, I mean, it's also something I'm still managing today. So I, I do that in my present life. If there's something that will call for me to raise my voice just to be heard at all, like being in a bar or a loud concert, like I can push it if I really want to. And I most of the time really want to, but mm-hmm. it's a bad idea. Yeah. yeah, it really, I have consequences. So I'm always in that flux in, in trying to decide what's best. Do you think that it's made you a better writer and a better artist, like for that to be the main mode of how you're how you're communicating with yourself almost and in some ways how you ended up communicating to the larger population of people who've read your book or who might read your book or whatever that's interesting i have lots of deep philosophical thoughts (laughs) during that period (laughs) plenty of time by myself to really go deep diving into like what is a voice what does it mean how how do I take this for granted? How do other people take this for granted? And then when it came to actually putting that on paper, I was also doing a pretty big emotional investigation of myself because I had always wanted to make comics, but Mm -hmm. I didn't feel like I was good enough to start, which is, you know, just a terrible trap to be caught in. You're you're never going to get good if you don't start doing it. But I guess my inner critic is really powerful. And, you know, I, I push myself through all the pain and fear of actually starting. And then actually writing and drawing it, you watch me throughout the book learn how to do that. Like the beginning of the book is not nearly as skilled as the end. And I think that's true for probably any major project. But for me, it was not, it was really starting from, you know, these are the first drawings or comics that I've done since I was like small and drawing was free and wonderful. Mm -hmm. I totally abandoned it and returning to it at this point was like a very big stretch personally. But when I was silent and talking with people through writing, (laughs) hilariously, occasionally I'd find myself like drawing a happy face on the page (laughs) and like pointing to it instead of just turning and looking at them and smiling. Yeah, that's so interesting. It's really bizarre, but very much like, you know, the, the time it takes to write in the moment in a conversation, it feels endless compared to how long it would take to say the same thing. So I think the strategies of writing quickly, concisely, being attentive to the moment, making enough space in words for the emotions that are inevitably a part of it, but deliberately making that space, like those were all things that I think I gained from that experience when it comes to choosing what to communicate and what not to in art now, in my comics. As a person who this is your first major thing that you ever worked on, to see that, the physicality of the book, to see it in front of you, like was that a trip. I was like, just just bring me one copy to this event the night before. Like, I just want to have a private night with with my first experience of seeing this book. And then me I'll be and the at book the needs some and... alone time. We're gonna have a drink together. <laughs> yeah, I was just kind of like that. Like, I didn't I didn't crack any wine to like relax into the moment, you know, next to the fireplace or whatever. But I was <laughs> like, this is gonna be a big experience for me. So I just want to have it in my home. Like, you know, sit with my partner and observe this object. So yeah, I mean, yeah, it was a big experience and it certainly propelled me towards accepting myself as a professional comics artist, even though it still took me like a bit of time after that. Was there a sense of 
you being able to take like to look at the physical book and to be like okay this is like a a little piece of me and now i did you feel like you could move on i guess is what i'm asking yeah but that actually happened um when i hit send on the files i finished the book i decided to ask for feedback from a few people and someone a little bit outside of my like trusted circle Mm -hmm. i took a chance on offering that they read the book to say you know, you can see this before anyone else. I would love to know if you have any lingering questions, something I might be able to answer with a small change. And, you know, she was overall very positive, but she just asked if I could find more closure at the end of the book, actually. Mm-hmm. Um, and in the work, like, I can't say what happens because I don't want to spoil it, but I really left a lot of things, um, like, expanding at mm-hmm. the end instead of coming to, like, a neat finish. And I love that about it, but she cast a little bit of doubt in me. So I then took the next like two months to agonize over what the end could be and to try and add a story, write another thing. I was like struggling and um, stressing and my partner was like, yeah, I mean, I I don't want to read it until you're done if that's what you want, because I hadn't given it to him. I'd basically met him like two months before then. so he was really hanging back, just trying to like allow me to be in this very difficult moment of trying to finish it, like my yeah. first major work. And it had been five years since I'd started, so that's a that's a long story for me. But I finally broke down and just got him to read everything that I had. And he was like, this is New Year's Eve 2017, <laughs> like <laughs> December 31st, 2017. He's like, Georgia, it's done. What are you so worked up about? Yeah. Like you did this beautiful thing. I don't know what that person was talking about, but this is like, I I don't think they got what you were doing. I get it. I love this. And I was like, oh, I'm free. Yeah. <laughs> and I hit send. And then I woke up the next morning and I felt, uh, God, I'm going to sound like such an asshole right now, but I felt like the closest thing I can imagine to enlightened. Yeah. Because I I opened my eyes and I was just feeling my body and like the temperature and texture of the bed sheets and like looking at the light in the room just in this beautiful days of total presence because I had nothing left to do. Yeah. The book was done. And then like three days later, I woke up from a dream where I was working on my next project and I just woke up and started working on it. <laughs> <laughs> So it lasted three days, but it was like a huge amount of space that I'd been holding in my head mm-hmm. for the finishing of this project. I didn't even notice it anymore because it was five years in. Yeah. But it being cleared and being free, I was just like, the world is so interesting. <laughs> what is this room I'm in? And yeah, it was wild, but then it was over. <laughs> well, I feel like it's interesting. Like people have this, there's some people just have this inherent desire to be like, all right, now it's wrapped up with a little bow mm-hmm. on top. You know, it's like in movies where they're like 20 years later, like this oh, is yeah. what happened to this character. I fucking hate that shit. <laughs> I want you to end it. And then I want to feel like, unless someone's like dead or whatever, mm-hmm. I want to be still thinking about that person's life. Yeah. If they're a fictional character, I'm like imagining where they're going or what they're doing. If it's a real person, I mean, you could do a, a quick zhuzhel or whatever. But yes. um, <laughs> it's not that hard to find them now. <laughs> yeah, but I just, I like tying things up with a neat little bow is like, it's so unlike life. Mm-hmm. Nothing is ever fucking tied. Nothing is ever finished. Mm-hmm. Every, everything is in perpetual motion. You know what I mean? Particularly your health. Yeah. This is why I was really against wrapping it up in a concrete way, because 
for me, the beginning of the story, I just didn't know it was coming. Like, yeah. I didn't know anything that was coming ahead of me. And I really believed that the pain I was experiencing was just going to end at some point and I would have my life back the way that it was before. And that just meant not having to think about it. Like, mm-hmm. I, I wanted to go back to a time when I could talk and sing and laugh as much and as loud as I wanted in whatever place I wanted. And I would fully believe that was going to happen. And just months in, got to a place where I had to accept I had no idea if that was ever going to happen. And then as I saw myself start to improve, but not as quickly as I wanted, and I never have completely regained that freedom, mm-hmm. um, then I was really angry at all the stories that had that kind of closure. Because mm-hmm. I was like, I wasn't prepared for this. Yeah, No one told me that I would have to live with this as a possibility, as a, a consideration continued recurrence of pain for the rest of my life like at what point am i done at what point am i recovered and i just decided recovery isn't real yeah it's really not it's not real i mean and very much like thinking about recovery as a way to make yourself miserable and also take your eye off what really will help you get through which is just being there for whatever is Mm -hmm. happening and what i discovered is pushing through gets you nowhere as it's kind of like the most massive rejection of what's actually taking place. Yeah. But like allowing it, like now, you know, if I have pain and my voice is starting to get a little tired, I'm like, okay, my voice is getting tired. That for me means that when we're done this, I'm going to spend some time in silence on my own and I'm not going to be distressed about it. Yeah. It's just going to happen. I have a book recommendation for you if you'll Ooh, take yes, it. Oh, yes. Please, <laughs> it's always. Not, it's, uh, have you ever read any of Leslie Jameson's work? Never. Okay, so she wrote this book called The Recovering that's, like, about addiction. Oh, Um, okay. But it's kind of, like, that similar thing, like, recovery not being this thing that ever ends. Mm -hmm. And, like... You're living it. Yeah, it's not just, like, one day you're an alcoholic and the next day you're not. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's, like, that's your whole life. Yeah. And, you know, thinking about, like, she talks a lot about AA um, because that, for her, was what worked. But the idea of, like... You know, she was like this person who had written for so long and really rejected this idea of cliches because that's what they and you take a master's degree. They're like, you know, cliches are so bad. Like, don't write like that. It's not good. And she was like, you know, one day at a time, one minute at a time, one hour at a time. You know what I mean? For sure. And yeah, your your label, whatever it is you're using of like, you know, I'm in pain or I'm addicted or I'm recovering now or whatever it is like that also changes minute to minute and doesn't erase the thing that came before it. Yeah. Which is really hard when you're trying to get out of something that hurts you and you want like hope, you want some hope to exist. But it's much harder for us to accept something that changes constantly. Mm -hmm. And it's much harder for the wide broad us to accept complication, Mm -hmm. that it's not as simple as this is the one thing that I am right now or the one thing that is in my life. Because also, while pain, recovery, addiction, chronic health issues are happening, the rest of your life is still happening. Mm-hmm. Nothing is stopping nope. in favor of you having time for this. And you have, if you want that time, you have to stand up and take it. Yeah. Like It's very hard to find that advocacy um, and balance it with meeting the needs that you have, both like, you know, mentally, emotionally, spiritually, and materially, mm-hmm. like to live in a home, you have to pay for it. Yeah. And uh, to see your healthcare practitioners, you might have to pay for that too. Mm-hmm. Like there's a lot going on all at once. So the thing that I'm reaching for in my work, which continues to mostly be about health, is the complexity, nuance, specificity, because all of that stuff, whether or not you share exactly the same circumstances or the exact same specifics, 
it's just observing that it's possible to navigate so much mm -hmm. and that it's possible to feel weak one day and strong the next and that it's possible to like ask for help i just want more examples of people who are managing the fullness of life mm -hmm. and not just the narrative that fits into these pages Okay, I feel like this is a bit of a good segue to talk about what yeah, you're working <laughs> on. What are you working on now? Yeah, my current project is is challenging me and stretching me in a way that I definitely would not have anticipated or sought out. But I was approached by someone who's actually um, a dancer, choreographer, Kathleen Ray, who is working on a piece with her friend who is also a dancer and who lost her sight about 15 years ago from uh, TENS, which is an acronym for Toxic Epidermal Necrolysis Syndrome. So she had this very rare reaction to medication that she thinks was ibuprofen, but she doesn't actually know what she was given. It was just for a headache. And it's like, a actually the stats for people who have this reaction are one in one million. So it's very, very rare, but she had it. And one of the components of the tissues burning, I'm, I'm hesitating to be too descriptive on this mm. show because I don't want people to get sick or something. <laughs> um, anyway, so it's, yeah, it, it affects like tissues all over the body and uh, it's very common for people to lose their sight as a part of it because scar tissue forms where the reaction has taken place. And so Vivian, who is the blind woman and dancer now, um, she is working with Kathleen to choreograph a show that sort of tells this story of her life and her journey through this amazing and difficult experience. And part of their research was just looking at some old drawings that Vivian had made when she was still in the process and actually losing her sight. Mm -hmm. So she had very little, she, she was drawing like with her nose to the page, um, but she had a hundred pages of a graphic novel, a graphic memoir wow. about the hospital, about that, like really the rawness of being in that experience. And she was writing it all like very shortly after it happened. Um, but she had to stop because she lost her sight entirely and was left with this unfinished project that she couldn't throw out, though she almost did. And amazingly, you know, she didn't. So now here we are with this pile of work that I am working with her to complete, to just like tell the rest of the story and to use all the years of perspective she's had now since it happened. Because when she was writing it, she was writing it from really like inside mm -hmm. it when it was happening. And now... She's got all this perspective. She's done so many things with her life she probably never would have without mm -hmm. her vision changing. Um, and yeah, there's a lot there that I'm interested in as a person who talks about health with nuance and complexity. Um, it's also fascinating to collaborate with someone where I'm trying to have her voice at the center of it, but she can't see what I'm doing. Yeah. So we are... I mean, she's exercising a massive amount of trust in giving me this project, and I am exercising all of the skills that I've learned for making comics, but also communicating. I have mm -hmm. to describe in text documents everything that I want to do, and then make changes as she asks, and then describe everything as it's drawn, and get another, get Kathleen to actually be her eyes to like observe what I might not be able to communicate, just being the person who created it. I have a different view of what the work is and how it looks. Um, so it's a multi-stage process in every way because like Vivian needs to have access to this because it's mm -hmm. her story. And it's me not being at the center of a project, which mm -hmm. is great because my book last year was a memoir and the next book that I'm making is also very much like from within my perspective. So when I was asked to do this, it was a really 
a really interesting opportunity to um, take all the skills that I have, but also really like stretch them and expand them to include someone else's story and the whole disability narrative from a completely different mm-hmm. point of view. Your work actually really reminds me of um, Flannery O'Connor. There's like a bit of underlying body horror almost. <laughs> yeah, no, that, that's and fair. And like a, like a tension. <laughs> Something, I don't know if this is just a personal issue that I have. But like... Air it out. Yeah. Let's do it. <laughs> you know when people... It's just like learning about the ways that your body can fail you. Mm-hmm. Every yeah. time I learn about a new way, like my friend recently was like, oh, I had a friend who's like kneecaps just like detached from his knees and like sank down into his wow. legs. What? Who the fuck knew that could happen? I, yeah. I mean, anything is possible. Anything Lauren. is possible. <laughs> <laughs> so I feel sometimes when I read about bodies and think about that in an interior way, and think about all the ways that my body could fail me. Like that to me is more like body horror. Yeah. For me, a lot of like reading your work and like reading what you sent me about what you've been working on with Vivian, it's like I immediately have this like tensing inside mm-hmm. me where like yeah. I feel like even though like you're describing what's already happened, like things have happened and and life has gone on. It's like mm-hmm. Yeah, she's okay. Yeah. You know, she's alive now. But thinking yeah. about that makes me feel it makes me feel tensed. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I think that's totally fair. And I, that's me doing my job as well, um, is yeah, making I, you understand some small part of her experience of actually losing that stuff. You're you're empathizing. Mm-hmm. I think that makes a lot of sense. It's also, I, this is really at the heart of my understanding of our, our society's general ableist uh, problems, is that we, like... Uh, I really do not want to characterize disability as ill health because that's not always what it is. But I think our difficulty confronting disability really has to do with that tension you're talking about, this feeling of if that were me, then I would be losing something about Mm -hmm. who I am now. I would be losing ability. And uh, immediately, I think the, the question of loss goes beyond that body and that experience, but actually into the world of how you would be treated and what you would be able to do. Mm-hmm. I've been thinking about it a lot. I was invited to um, be a guest at CripCon, uh, which is a short endearment for Cripping the Comic-Con, a show that happens in Syracuse at Syracuse University, um, you know, supported by the Disability Cultural Center there. And it's just a it's just an event that celebrates comics and the culture associated with it, but with disability at the front and center of that culture which it so rarely is, and it's so rarely even really thought about as mm-hmm. something that you might combine with comics. But it was really beautiful to be in a space where disability was just expected mm-hmm. and welcomed, and so accommodations were present, and all you had to do was either look around or ask someone or like read the materials that you were given. Like It was just very out in front that you might have different needs than other people mm-hmm. here, and that's totally cool. We got you. Like, we know you're coming. We invited you here. Yeah. So this idea of disability as sort of a, like a shift in health paradigm for the rest of the world to accept, I'm sort of mulling over right now. Because if we had a little more peace with our own mortality, it mm-hmm. might be less frightening to see someone who's living with their body in a different way or really struggling with a disease that may ultimately kill them. But even more than that, it's like, 
not that I not that I want you to be cavalier about like losing a limb, mm-hmm. but if you knew that you could still do everything that you love, if you did lose an arm or a mm-hmm. leg or um, the ability to use one of those things, if you knew you could still do everything that you love because there were accessibility accommodations for mm-hmm. you, it might be less frightening. Yeah. And it might be less weird to talk about. Yeah. Maybe. I'm positing this is a, a potential future because there are so few spaces where where that's true. Yeah. Um, but being at that at Cripcon, at Cripping the Comic Con, it was really like a yeah, a total paradigm shift for me to even consider it that way. And I realized the value and importance of having those conversations about disability and sharing disabled stories because uh it's just ridiculous that we live in a world that insists it's not something we have to think about yeah. when there are so many people living that life. Yeah, it's a big topic. I could probably just keep going about it for a while. It's so fascinating. <laughs> okay, so I have two things. Um, I think you should check out my friend Courtney Gilmore. She is a comedian. She doesn't have any hands and she doesn't have... Uh, I think I've seen her actually. Yeah, yeah. She's like has a big fundraising campaign for her dream leg right now. Oh, no way. Because she's always had these like really shitty prosthetics for her legs that like would just fall off and like to get like our actual true good working prosthetic is like a hundred thousand dollars. Oh my god, that's but she, so expensive. She's like why? She's fucking amazing and she's like oh, wow. She doesn't have hands, but like you see that bitch fucking text, you're mm. like, you know what? <laughs> <laughs> like and she's so funny. She's like, people are just like, she like lives alone. People are always like, how do you just like live? And she's oh like, I just do. You know what I mean? Like there and I mean within that, I feel like, you know, not to speak for her, but for me, the answer to that would be like, you would if you had to as exactly, well. Like yeah. it's not that big a deal. Like yeah. I, I don't know. I mean, of course it's a big deal, like, especially given that other people are not considering and accommodating these access needs that you mm-hmm. have. But the yeah, the the idea that like disabled people or people with disabilities are more resourceful mm-hmm. or like braver or stronger than anyone else. It's like if if you had these challenges in your life, like wouldn't you, yeah, you just rise to meet them? Like you want to survive, right? You want to be happy, right? Like, I mean, it's impossible to imagine, but it's a weird thing that no one takes the time to actually sit with it. Like they yeah. just go straight to that reaction of, whoa, impossible. Yeah, right. I yeah. couldn't. And it's like, well, maybe five minutes. Think about it. Like just, you know, have that reaction and just like sit with yourself and think through like, yeah, okay. If I didn't have hands, how would I do this thing in my life? And how would I do that other thing? Hmm. Interesting. Yeah, like probably figure it out, you know? <laughs> probably. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, I think it's just, uh, it's kind of unfortunate how that can make someone feel like a novelty yeah. instead of a human. Yeah. So yeah, it's, it's really, that's where I want the narrative to sort of shift. And it's kind of like, everyone, can you just like get a little more comfortable with things being different than you yeah. <laughs> want or expect them to be? And maybe like, you know, explore your emotions and your responses to them. Cause then you won't explore it on that person yeah. when they're telling you who they are for the first time. Like, 100%. I think something that strikes me a lot is the idea of how much we value individualism over community. Yes. So thinking about (laughs) how things could be normalized. Yeah, well, a major component of the the CripCon shift that I had, and I'm so delighted that, like, the word Crip, just to uh, uh, address that before we go on, like, the word Crip is actually a colloquial retaking of Cripple. Mm Mm-hmm which I think is so amazing. Um, And it just like bounces out of your mouth really nicely. So the shift into crip consciousness, I love that phrase so much, but that that like shift into crip consciousness that I was trying to 
grapple my way through and that experience is very much one of accepting interdependence. Mm -hmm. I could see all the accommodations that were being made for people who had those different needs and being in that space and sharing it with them. Like it, it was, it was not a, a detriment to my experience in any way. And I also recognize the people who put the, the convention or the festival on, they worked really hard to consider all of those things and put them in place. And that is way harder to do on your own. Mm -hmm. Like if everyone was doing that level of consideration, we would be sharing accessibility devices. Mm -hmm. It's so much easier when it's not each and every one of us that has to put the investment into mm -hmm. the specialized equipment or um, the spaces being designed and constructed in certain ways. Like the more normalized it is, the easier it is for everyone. And there's very much a like openness and humbleness that you have to accept for yourself to like ask for help, to make your needs known. It, it kind of requires that you allow the possibility that someone will say yes and help you. Mm -hmm. And I think that emotional shift is is really hard when so many, like so much of the world is sort of already saying no mm -hmm. by not even inviting the question or being open to the question of what do you need? Yeah. Like no one no one is asking that. There's just kind of the way things are. Yeah. And you if it doesn't work for you, it's on you to figure it out. Yeah. But it's very like it's it's so real the the value of sharing even just stories about experiences like I see that in my work when I think about like, you know, what, what am I doing as a comics artist? I have my existential meltdown of like, I just sit in my room all the time drawing and then like I put something out into the world and I have no idea who cares about it <laughs> besides me until, you know, you get an email from someone saying, thank you so much for writing this. It just made me feel less alone. Like I felt more capable because I just knew someone else was struggling mm -hmm. and it's okay to struggle sometimes. It's especially okay to struggle if you're expected to do it completely alone. Like mm -hmm. it's it's not okay in that it doesn't feel good, but it's okay as in that's very natural. Of mm -hmm. course you're struggling more. Like we can really help each other even just by knowing and acknowledging each other. And so, yeah, like me telling these stories is, is sort of offering a, a distant connection to people who are having that experience. And then when I got to be at CripCon and in that space, I was actually watching people help each other in that way because they just accepted that everyone needs help mm -hmm. and so this is a normal thing to ask to ask for it to receive it to offer it it's just a you know pass it on kind of situation i guess yeah i mean i feel like the sort of pull yourself up by your bootstraps mentality is like mm. frankly very violent it and can be yeah if you're forcing yourself yeah and if you're saying like I don't want to help you or if the way things are, the way things are structured, the way, you know, systems are structured or whatever doesn't work for you, then, well, tough luck. You mm -hmm. know what I mean? Yeah. It's one of the grossest parts of capitalism <laughs> Yeah, is this idea that, like, you know, you have to figure things out for yourself and that certain things are, are private and are mm -hmm. have to do with the individual. It's like, health and healthcare and all that kind of stuff to me is like universal. Mm -hmm. Every one of us has a body. Absolutely. Yeah. And every one of us has health conditions that range from feeling really good and alive in our bodies to feeling totally weak and like immobile. Mm -hmm. Like we all are somewhere on that spectrum at any given moment and it changes all the time. And 
you know, there are there are bigger events that you actually don't have the choice about being private mm-hmm. about. And those are really big shifts, I think, for people when it might be that you have to make a choice to reach out and have to accept what's given to you. But mm-hmm. it might also be that you're actually not even in a position to have that agency. Yeah. Your, your health is actually upfront and you and what you want is going to have to wait and, and just let it happen because you're so out of control of that, which is terrifying, obviously. Mm-hmm. But I think maybe like what I would like to see is I would like to see a balance between individuality and and whatever privacy you desire. Because as someone who struggles with health and mental health issues, like I'm good some days to just be alone Mm -hmm. and that feels right. Mm -hmm. It can also be, you know, self-isolation because I'm feeling like I don't want to burden someone with talking to me about my anxiety today. Mm -hmm. But the emphasis of our culture on individual uh what's the word ingenuity (laughs) uh pride Mm -hmm. a lot of the time um yeah it's it's a really maybe subtle shift in some areas of life but like monumental shift in others Mm -hmm. to allow interdependence and individuality at the same time and our culture is really into the independence side right now yeah it's uh it's such a weird it's such a weird thing I was, I mean, obviously, like, <laughs> you don't, like, you never want to go back in time. You know what I'm saying? As women, like, we don't want to go, don't we don't think... go back in time. <laughs> yeah, it's not better before I don't want to be owned by people. <laughs> no. But, like, I do think there's that, I don't be owned by a man, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> um, but I do think there's something interesting about the shift from that very community-based, mm-hmm. like, I think it's probably, like, a post-World uh, War One maybe, kind of shift that you oh, see yeah. an industrialization shift, the big move into to capitalism where you see that mm-hmm. that broader community that's like seen as a broad family sort of break down and you get into the like nuclear family structure it's just a bit of a bummer you know yeah for sure i mean there's a lot lost yeah. that's for sure and we have this like bizarre world where we're super connected through technology and also super isolated mm-hmm. at exactly the same time so it's a new it's a new challenge yeah it's definitely daunting <laughs> Thank you for being on the podcast. It's so nice to see you again. It's nice to see you too. Yeah. yeah. Thank you for inviting me. It's um, really nice to talk. Do, can people follow you on the gram? Where can people buy your book? Tell That's us about it. That's the best way. Yeah, I am on Instagram. Um, it's G-E-E underscore Weber. And I use it somewhat infrequently, but there will always be some art and updates happening there. And then Fantagraphics put out my lovely book, um, the one that came out last year called Dumb Living Without a Voice. And the one that's coming out next year, which is the collaboration with Vivian. So uh, Fantagraphics is everywhere, but you can also just go straight to the source. Yeah. This was a really, really nice chat. And yeah. I, nice I to pre- see you. I appreciate you. <laughs> I appreciate your work. And I oh, really appreciate you, you coming, on the, coming on the show. Yeah. Well, thank you for your work with the show, too. Because, like, women doing their thing never cease to amaze me. And there's just so much more that I can learn from listening than... And for me talking about a bunch of my crap. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry to make that really crass at the end. It started really nice. I like that you're like, I said the word crap, so it's crass. I'm like, and fuck this, and fuck that, you bitch. Like, <laughs> I also get really Canadian when I say crap. Like, it's crap. crap. Like it's <laughs> That's crap, eh? Yeah, so crappy. It's crap. <laughs> <laughs>
I've had something stuck in my craw um, <laughs> recently. And it's that as I get older, I, you know, as we're all uh, hurtling towards death, I've begun to think a lot about aging and the physicality of aging and what that means. I have stopped exercising for the sole purpose of losing weight. Um, now I exercise because if I don't, my body hurts. <laughs> um, but I don't know. I think like, obviously, <laughs> I don't mean this in the like Sheryl Sandberg way, but I do think we could all do ourselves a little favor by like leaning into aging, you know? I think that like, a perspective that I have gained from getting older and also from my dad being sick is that we are very lucky if we get to age. So if you get to a point in your life, if you're privileged enough to get to a point in your life where you have wrinkles and you or your hair is gray and you know your knees aren't what they used to be i think that that's kind of beautiful and it bums me out a little bit that that we live in this world that's so obsessed with trying to put that off for as long as possible now i understand that i have spent a lot of time on this podcast telling you to remember to moisturize your neck and i do stand by that statement i think moisturizing is just important in general because you know, you don't want your skin to get dry. It's like itchy, it's bad. It gets dry here in the winter, you know? Like you wanna, you wanna keep it up. But I also just wish we could have a different conversation, especially like as women, I wish we could have a different conversation around aging, if that makes sense to you guys at home. And I hope it does. <laughs> All right, well, that's it for me here in the Cavern of Secrets. This show was executive produced by Katie Jensen, and our producer is Alan Payne-Smith. Our theme music is by Bianca Giulione, and our show artwork is by Nick Ilozada. Thanks so much to Sarah Daniel and Vicky Mochama for their editorial support. And as always, a huge thank you to Unchman Idemsetti, my beautiful and original producer. If you're in Toronto... Come to our friggin' live show. It's going to be amazing. It's on October 27th. It's at the Review Cinema in Ron on Roncesvalles. We've got great guests like Kyrell Grant, Marlo Granados, and Mary H.K. Choi, plus more. You can buy tickets online. Go do it now. You can also follow us on Twitter at Cavern of Secrets. You can follow me if that's something you're into. I'm at Internet Lauren. And please subscribe, share, and leave a review if you feel so inclined. That's it. Thanks, everyone. 